reading today comes from the second book of Kings in chapter 5 from the Old Testament. We hear about Amran or Syria that was a neighbor of Israel's but the two countries did not get on very well, often fought each other and raided each other's land and people. Let's begin. The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of the army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. Go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out, carrying as gifts 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said, With this letter I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read this letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, Oh my God, that I can give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal somebody with leprosy? I can see he's just trying to pick a fight with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, and he will learn that there's a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored, and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana, the Farpar better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply, Go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Anna. Great story. One of my favorites in the Old Testament. To say that it has been an exceptional week would be something of a gross understatement given the last few days around our home. Our son Bryce left on Monday to begin his time in the United States Army. There he is. <laughs> yeah, take it in, isn't it something? Sands his hair. And uh, he is already in desperate need of mom's macaroni and cheese, Pop-Tarts, Taco Bell, and a few slices of pepperoni pizza, he says. He's waiting to 
to pass his flight physical. That's why he's being delayed. And he's like, this doctor showed up and he didn't even come to our barracks and now I've got to wait on him. I said, welcome to the army. (laughs) I was so heartened at his swearing in ceremony of the kids making that commitment and they were all kids. Half of the people there were people of color. Four out of 10 were women. And the group was from all levels of economic scale. The young captain who administered the oath was of Arabian descent, the son of immigrants, last name Jihad. And the young contractor who assisted everyone with the finalization of their service contracts wore a Rosa Parks t-shirt. I don't know what I was expecting, but that wasn't it. And for Bryce's part, I'll talk about him in his absence today. His decision was not one I expected either. When I tell you that that young man's graduation from high school a couple of years ago is my single greatest accomplishment as a human being, I am not (laughs) exaggerating. I've had some modest success. I've earned a few academic degrees. I've written books. I even shared a stage with the president once. But this boy making it to adulthood, it took all I had. (laughs) It took more than Cindy had. She would say to me sometimes, isn't there a law that you can drop a kid off at the fire station and they won't punish you for anything? And she's cried since he left. And without many of you in this room, he certainly would not have made it this far. Angry, conflicted, defiant, kicked out of school more than once, narrowly escaping jail more than once. The police have been to my house because of this young man more times than every plumber, electrician, or handyman we've ever called. And I would say to Cindy, it's me or him. One of us is going to be dead and one of us is going to be in prison. That's just how it is. But I can tell you with no disrespect to anyone else in my family, if I needed something today, if I was in a pinch, my back to the wall, and I needed help, he is the one I would call. I couldn't call Cindy in a real emergency because she'd have to go throw up first, (laughs) pass out, then she would rally. Braden would be asleep or need convincing that it was an actually an emergency, and Blaze would need to know if he could get $20. <laughs> what a surprise this has been. And I don't know. You can take that picture down. I can't look at him. I don't know where his future goes. I don't know if he'll even make it through the next eight weeks. I don't really care because he's already grown to be a person I'm honored to know. And besides, whichever direction he takes will not be the one I expect anyway. Because that's the nature of expectations. Our expectations are never quite right, are they? Here's a quote by Brandon Sanderson. Expectations are like fine pottery. The harder you hold them, the more likely they are to crack. We impose impossible expectations on our surroundings and the people around us, don't we? 
I thought it would be like this. I thought it would look like that. I thought he would be the one that would make me happy. I was counting on her to do this or do that. And when the expectations are impossibly high and unclinchingly non-negotiable, we trap ourselves. Expectation becomes another word for disappointment. We have to learn to retain the capacity to be marvelously surprised by what life brings us. All of that with Bryce commenced on Monday, and on Tuesday I spoke with a friend from South Florida. She is a pastor, or she was. She started out as a teacher, but felt drawn to the church, and by her 30s she was working away on her seminary degree, and she succeeded, and she has gone on to pastor in a, in a small denomination, not the largest. But it has been her home, and until a few years ago she thought it would be her home forever. And then at her last appointment she made a mistake. Not a moral or an ethical failure, mind you. She crossed the wrong family in the church where she pastored. This is a real thing. And I have been on the sharp end of that stick. Some churches operate not so much as a community, but as a patriarchy, matriarchy, monarchy. There's a man or a woman whose, quote, grandfather gave the land that this church sits on. Has anybody ever heard that? Or something like that. And all the gatekeeping has been relegated to this individual or to his or her descendants. And my friend got sideways with this family and she got painted into a corner, forced to take sides on an issue where sides were not required. So she stated her convictions, true to herself. And you don't want to know what the big family boss man had to say to her? I knew what you really were. You aren't fit to serve this church. You aren't fit to serve any church, and I'll make sure you're run out of town on a rail. She held on about a year in that hostile work environment, but those man's words came true. She lost that job. She was devastated, almost suicidal. She did nothing for a while, but when you're 50 years old and wondering what to do with your life and the bills start coming in, you have to do something, and she found a job as a hospice cha chaplain in what some people would say was a culture of death, much less prestige, and she has been reborn. There's so much symbolism here. She loses her job. She loses her way of making a living. She loses her life. She goes to hospice, and she recovers. Being with families, being with the dying, has been such a rewarding thing for her that she cannot believe she didn't get to it quicker. And she would not have gotten to it at all if her expectations had not collapsed under the weight of other people. Just being, loving, helping, it's not at all what she expected. A complete surprise, and it is, exact, it is exactly what she needed. Wednesday, I drove with my other son, Blaze, to Tallahassee. He's been a student there for the last two years, and he is leaving soon for basic training, and it was time to clean out his apartment, and dear God. <laughs> Told him I need a hazmat suit and a Geiger counter in this place. And I just went to the truck and said, I'll be outside. 
Let me know when it's over. And what a great conversation we had on our way over there. We talked about our dreams and our hopes, relationships gone wrong, stupid mistakes, glorious successes. And I told him, it's a hard day today. Lord. I said, son, I'm 48 years old. And I've never had a conversation like this with my father. wasn't what I expected. So we stopped at the AT&T store because the boy is getting his own phone on his own dime, thanks be to God. (laughs) And when Bryce got on the bus, by the way, Monday, I waved and pulled up Geico and canceled him right off my insurance as he drove away. (laughs) Because I got one more coming. We stopped at AT&T, and the man who helped us, his name was Jimmy, younger than me, older than Blaze. He was from Boston. He played basketball at Pitt. His family was in California, and here he was in Tallahassee. And I said, let me guess, you came here with a woman. Yeah. Let me guess, you're not with her anymore. No. Well, what are you doing here? And he said, man, I just sell these phones for the groceries. I got dreams. I got a business I'm working on on the side. And he began to talk about this graphic business that he had. And he gave us his Instagram and his Facebook. And he's met someone new and he's bought a house. And things haven't gone the way I thought they would, he said. They've gone a little bit better. He's like six foot four, bald, bearded, black Buddha sitting there talking to my son. And the wisdom was rolling off of his tongue about relationships and the school of hard knocks and moving on. And I saw Blaze soaking it all up. And it was a miracle. As a going away present, I was buying the phone for this kid. But we got a whole lot more than a phone. Because a kid will listen to someone else closer to their age than they will listen to their own parent. And everything he was saying, I had said a million times. And Blaze was acting like, I've never heard this before. We were so struck by it that we were 30 minutes away from Tallahassee before we realized we had bought a phone and it wasn't even working. Jimmy and all of his talking hadn't even hooked it up to a plan yet. (laughs) But it was what we needed. Thursday, 4th of July. Quiet, unemotional day, right? No. We went to Todd and Suzanne Collenbach's house to eat hamburgers, to watch fireworks into Funiac Springs. There are houses on Lake Stanley, and you can see the city fireworks due north from there. It is spectacular. If they invite you to go, go. Is Todd and Suzanne here today? Now they're getting over that party, I think. (laughs) If Todd cooks on the green egg for you, go eat it. Even if it's tripe or chitlins or something else, it will be superb. We were there after doing a house blessing for Tony and Susan Valley. They have a new home on the lake yard in Defuniac Springs. That's a story unto itself. But on Thursday afternoon, a young lady calls me. Her name is Lauren. Here is her dilemma. Her boyfriend, Austin, is a third-year Marine at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. He's about to be deployed to a three-year school on his way to becoming an officer. And he's been told that if he had family, i.e., if he were married, he could deploy to Florida State University where she was a student and finish his degree there and her degree. And wouldn't it be great if he could do that and not be sent across the country or overseas? And I know it's last minute. I know it's the 4th of July. But is there any way you could officiate our wedding tomorrow? He's here on leave for 48 hours. (laughs) 
What could I do? How about 11 on Friday? Done. So here we were, this cute, sweet, young couple. He looked like Tom Cruise. Honest to God, she was like a young Jennifer Gardner. Beautiful. The world sits at their feet. They don't even know it. I signed the marriage license and said, I hope you get that deployment you're after. And if not, you can tear this up and call me in three years. That was a joke. It wasn't what they planned, but it was absolutely perfect. I came home, and there on my porch was a young man named Spencer. He went to school with my boys. He graduates from college in a few weeks, and he is on the cusp of taking his first job at a church. Mr. Ronnie, what should I do? I don't know. (laughs) But I know this, whatever you think is going to happen, and whatever you hope to happen, ain't going to happen. It's going to look different than the way you imagine it. And he asked another great question. If you were 21 again and about to go into the ministry, and you could speak to yourself, what would you say? I told him. And he went ashen gray. (laughs) But I'll give you the cliff notes. You know what I would tell my young... 21-year-old self, what I've been telling my sons this week, calm down, relax, things aren't going to go the way you think they are. You are loved by God, yes. You have been in God's mind since before eternity began, and if God stopped thinking about you right now, you would cease to exist. You are loved, but you're really not that important. Because you can't control the world. You can't even control what's going to happen next in your life. So the best advice I could give you is breathe deep and go with it. Whatever it is. Because life is going to unfold differently than you expected it would. So what happened on Saturday? I tore up the sermon I'd been working on and started on this one. The text remained the same, but true to form, the expectation did not. Here's this Naaman guy, this Syrian, a great warrior, loyal, fierce, accomplished. He has leprosy. It is an eczema. It's not a skin blemish. He doesn't need a dermatologist. He needs a neurologist. Because leprosy is a disease of the nerves, similar to neuropathy. And the flesh dies on the bone. And that's what this guy has. And he's, he's looking, looking for a solution. And the king of Israel says, go on down and see the prophet. And Elisha tells him, go dip yourself in the Jordan River seven times, you'll be made whole. And Naaman is offended. Did you catch the phrase? I expected all of this. Hello? Hello? I would be offended too because I've been to the River Jordan. The mighty Mississippi, it is not. It's only about four feet wide in some places. And at the traditional baptismal sites, you could wade across it in just about 30 seconds, not much more than deep water, kicking the tilapia and the carp off your feet as you go. Dip in the Jordan. I didn't travel all this way with these big expensive gifts, with this terrible disease to go play patty cake in a mud hole. What do you mean dip into the Jordan? I mean, if he had been given 
the challenge of Hercules, he, wouldn't, he would have went and done it. His officers tell him so. If it had been hard, you would have done it. This is easy. Why can't you just go with it? And finally he does. And it heals him. Was it what he wanted? No. Was it what he needed? Yes. Life will rarely go the way you expect it to go. You will encounter more detours, dead ends, and unavoidable off-ramps than you can imagine. You will stand with arms wide open, running a twisted line, as we sang a minute ago. The picture painted in your head of how it ought to be, how it should be, how it is going to be, will be ripped away and replaced year after year. Some of the things that you face, you will think, I'll never be the same again. My life is over. And you are right. But not being the same again might be your salvation. And the life that you are leading and living might need to come to an end so that something else can be reborn in its place. You might find yourself making commitments you never anticipated making, working through crushing disappointment to find life on the other side, selling phones for the grocery money, 3,000 miles away from your family, but chasing the dream, taking the plunge with all good sense, when all good sense says no, but good sense isn't always good sense. You might find yourself going down to the river against your better judgment because you never expected such a thing. Down in the water, sinking into what you thought might kill you, but it will heal you instead if you let it. There's a great Chinese parable about a poor old man who owned a beautiful white horse. And this horse was the envy of the entire village, and he's a poor man, it's all he has. And the people would come to him all the time and they would say, You need to sell that horse. You're so poor, you'd have enough money to live the rest of your days. And the old man said, I can't sell this horse. This horse is like a friend to me. One day he gets up and the horse is gone from its stable. And the village people show up and they're wagging their heads. And what do they say? We told you. We told you somebody would steal that horse and now you've got nothing. Two weeks later, the horse returns. It had only run away into the forest. It returns with a dozen wild horses with it. The villagers come back and they say, Oh, we were wrong. You were right. And the old man says, Don't say that. You don't know what's going to happen. Just say that the horse came back and brought company with him. The man's son starts breaking these horses. After a few weeks breaking these horses, he falls off one of the horses and breaks both his legs. The villagers show up again. Ah, oh, we were right. Those horses are all a curse. Look what's happened to your son, and now you're old and you have nobody to take care of you. And the old man says, stop saying those things. You don't know what to expect. Say only that my son has fallen off the horse. That's all we know. A little while later, the king, residing over this village, declares war on a neighboring country. And he drafts all the young men. And they all march off to war. And it's a terrible enemy. It's likely that none of the boys will return. They all are drafted except for the old man's son who has broken legs. And the villagers come around one more time and they say, You were right. We were wrong. Your son breaking his legs has turned out to be a blessing and we may never see our children again. And the old man says, You people are impossible to talk to. No one knows what to expect. Only God knows.
And it is with God we must leave all things, especially our impossible and sure-to-be-inaccurate expectations.